You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining you today after Florida and South Carolina play with the Gators win 38-24 to over the Gamecocks. And joining me here, as they will every Sunday, is Nick De La Torre from Gator Country and Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun. Having some uh, technical issues with uh, the video portion, so those guys are being by the uh, phone call right now. We'll get this all figured out. But, gentlemen, uh, thanks for joining me. And, Graham, I'm, I'm waiting for the uh, – hearing the race cars in the background oh man no none of that background noise this time you know thanks for everyone for putting up with my first round of technical difficulties last week uh they haven't seemed to have subsided i'm gonna blame it uh on nick here um for being back in gainesville using up all the internet uh this past weekend to watch so many football games and i think there were so many good ones um to check out not only just the florida south carolina game uh, you know, but late into the night with Auburn, Georgia, Mississippi State pulling an absolute Mike Leach. But as usual, man, I can't wait to talk about this actual Gators game that we saw in a bit of a mixed bag. I don't know. I don't know how you guys felt, but a bit of a mixed bag for me. Yeah, Nick, de- definitely, Dude. definitely a mixed bag. Mississippi State's going to be fun to watch. They're going to be a, <laughs> a train wreck or great. Who knows? But I mean, from one week to the next, no idea what that pirate ship is doing. Uh, I love it. But- Man, it just kind of seems to be the same Mike Leach from from everywhere else. You get up for the big games, and then a week later, whoops. That's it's Felipe. It's because he shaved that beard. That's what that's what it was. Guys, uh, Nick, you were you were you were at the game, um, uh, Graham. I'm, you know, you saw from the uh, TV perspective here. It's uh, the the swamp. Uh, of course, it felt different. Seeing seeing we are the boys with uh, social distancing was was a little mm-hmm. weird, uh, but uh, you know I, I thought all in all it just felt like a and it, Nick it probably felt like this in at Ole Miss too last week kind of a spring game on steroids. Yeah, so like I, I don't know if they play like if you watch um, the NFL games on TV they pump noise. So if you're watching the broadcast, it almost sounds like nothing is nothing has changed. Um, but being there, it's kind of weird. Ole Miss was definitely weird because it was a closed press box at, at Florida. It's open air. Um, so you can hear a little bit better. Um, but yeah, definitely a weird environment. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it ever got loud, but maybe loud considering, um, how many people were there, but it, it was never like, you know, when Brad Stewart picked off, you know, had, had the pick six at LSU, it never got like that loud, but I think all things considering it was a good environment. Yeah, I thought I thought so too, and uh, a lot of people were having fun. Uh, it looked like so. Uh, you know, I've, I've watched some a couple replays, a few replays here and there, just kind of maybe looking at the crowd and how it was there. But uh, Graham, anything kind of throw you off from watching the swamp on a with a limited crowd on TV? A little bit. Uh, well, you don't really too no- notice it too much when the actual game is going on, but you know the lack of cheerleaders uh, from people I talked to who were actually fans of the game. My, my girlfriend's still in graduate school here. And went to the game on Saturday. Uh, was sitting up in the nosebleeds, and she said that she couldn't really hear the band, and with no Gator Bait chant and no and that not being played by the band, she said that that was kind of jarring in, in a sense because it was just kind of the same music over and over again because they've taken out so many uh, of those chants. They used to like the move back, you suck. I heard wasn't there either. Yeah. And, you know, you said glorified spring game on on steroids and I'm not going to disagree with you there, but man, it seems like forever ago that Dan Mullen was using that 39,400 and what 76 number to troll Georgia with the spring game attendance. 
which would have been, I, I don't think that was the right figure. Let me throw that out there first off, but <laughs> that might have been how many Georgia had last night. And that's Oh my, oh, let's not go. get started on that. That's good, man. Good, good sick burn. Tell me you wrote that earlier, but you know, that I, I want to believe him that camera angles made it look uh, worse than it actually was up there in Athens. But uh, oof, yeah, I had some lakefront property and I would have said, if you think that's all it was, I, you know, 15,000, I got to say, didn't stand out to me as much as I thought it would. I thought it would be jarring. Maybe it was the cutouts. Maybe it was the blue chair back seats, everything that football really doesn't need fans to affect the TV performance. I hate to really say that. And I, I'm trying to pick my words carefully here, but it's not like when you're watching the NBA finals or something and you see those virtual fans where it really sticks out to you because they're courtside. They're right there. It's hard not to see them on the broadcast. I didn't really miss them yesterday. No offense to all you fans out there. I, I don't want to take any shots at y'all. I just don't think the impact was really that big. And maybe football players will disagree otherwise because how else would you explain some of these defensive performances that we've seen? Let me say that. Yeah, good point there. And we'll get into that defensive performance. Uh, the uh, the offense getting off to a great start, kind of fluttering there uh, toward the end. But before we do, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes and News for Jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show. Subscribe on YouTube. And if you're watching live on YouTube right now, hit that like button. If you're not watching live, you can hit that like button there as well uh, and catch us on your favorite podcast platform and follow Gators breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators breakdown. So let's get uh, guys. We'll dive into this offense a little bit. Only 53 plays on the day. We'll of course start with what Kyle Trask was able to do for the day, 21 and 29 for 268 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Hey, look guys, he even had the longest run of the day on 19 yards uh, on a speed option play. So look at, at one point he was 20 to 24 for 259 yards after the Tony 57 yard catch and run finished 21 to 29, 268, four touchdowns uh, may have forced some throws early in the fourth quarter on a drive that ended in him throwing his first interception of the season uh, with Tony and Grimes running into each other. And Israel McQuamu uh, makes a one handed interception. So the day didn't end too well, but that hardly takes away from his performance so far this season. Nick. Uh, it, you couldn't write, you know, Hollywood wouldn't, wouldn't, Except this this script from uh, from Kyle Trask with everything he's gone through. Um, to me, I think Dan Mullen probably said best. It's just that I think his offense is so not so easy, but it, it's very easy for a quarterback to run. But you need a quarterback, like he said yesterday, that is going to make the right decisions. And you can look at Kyle Pitts and say, oh, look at all the yards and all the touchdowns that he has. But Dan Mullen said yesterday, we don't force anything to one specific player. And then you look at it and. 11 guys, 11 different guys had catches week one, nine different guys had catches. That just takes a quarterback making the right decisions. And I think that's what Kyle Trask is doing. And that's probably why he's having so much success is that he's just able to see what the defense is giving him and, and make a play. And then on the interception, that's probably just him trying to be uh, maybe judicious or that's where the play was going. Cause it looks like a play where, you know, you take your drop, put your foot in the ground and, and make a throw um, if you're trying to force the ball to Kyle Pitts, you're probably looking away from that. And, uh, you know, I don't think the interception was his fault um, in, in that aspect with two guys falling down. But, yeah, I mean, I think Kyle Trask is just doing what he's asked. And, and it might be a dirty term to some people, but game manager, I think that's what he's doing. Uh, I think he can do it both ways, Graham. I think, you know, like last week against Ole Miss, he, you wouldn't necessarily consider him a game manager. Maybe in some ways you are. And, and it, 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 it maybe game manager should also be kind of redefined a little bit too. Because as Nick says, you know, he's going right. to pass, you're going to pass for a lot of yards. And a game manager actually now for Kyle Trask could be, as Nick's point is, a facilitator. Get the ball to so many people and, and the big plays uh, can still come. And, and, and Graham, on a, on a day where, as Nick said, completed passes to nine different players, five different players have caught touchdowns this season so far. So we've seen, we're seeing the steps that he's taken in to elevate this offense, get so many players involved. Look, I know the game didn't end too well, but that was just a blip on, on, on what we've seen so far. You know, Trask is still showing so much command and, and playing as one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Yeah, he is. You know, one of you made the quote about this being a, a Hollywood story. Whenever I think of Kyle Trask, I think of two things. One, who is going to eventually play him? 
in the Hollywood movie. Do you guys have some some good takes? I'm thinking they got to do it as in like a like a Chris Evans character looking back on his, his story. <laughs> because when I think of Kyle Trask's story as related to a movie, and don't knock me, everyone out here, just stick with me for a second. I think of that first Captain America movie. You know, he shows up and no one's expecting anything out of him. And then it just takes the right people believing in him and then he gets jacked up. Captain America. I don't know. You guys can knock it out there. But what I thought he did really well, and I'm not going to say that journalists out there love using cliches, but it's true that there are just some cliche terms thrown around out there sometimes. If I got to use one word to describe Kyle Trask in this offense, I'm going to use, and I don't even know if this is a real word, so don't knock me for that as well, but I'm going to use the term capitalistic because whether it's running the football, like you said, longest run of the day, that 19 yard, uh, where it just seemed like everyone, you got to praise the blocking there. First and foremost, everyone held their blocks to make that 19-yard run into deep Ole Miss territory happen. Uh, but whether it's spreading the football around, which we know this offense loves to do, you got to credit Brian Johnson for for what he's done as well with Dan Mullen. But like you said, five Gators having touchdowns, uh, nine guys catching the ball, you know, even Naquan, Naquan Wright got involved. You see Xavier Henderson getting multiple targets, although one of them had that pass interference on it. You know, Trent Whittemore capitalized on both of his targets, absolutely. Um, although one of them, he, you know, I'm sure that he heard about that bobble afterwards, if we're being honest. But I, I think that just Kyle Trask does a really good job capitalizing what the offense is trying to do. He doesn't zero in on one receiver. He doesn't, uh, he's not scared to run it when that's the play call. He, he senses what the defense is trying to do. And maybe you can make the argument that other defenses right now are struggling to read Florida's offense and what, what the wrinkles they've added in there, um, how they've changed the offense. But I, I think it's also, you have a lot of credit to what Kyle Trask is doing, taking the next step as a quarterback in just kind of this, still 15 game sample size of starting appearances that we've seen out of him. Yeah. We'll go to uh, the rest of the passing offense and we'll, how they perform yesterday. Of course, favorite target Kyle Pitts garnering headlines. Uh, once again, the Kyle and Kyle show the Kyle connection there, you know, four catch 57 yards for Pitts, two more touchdowns. Look guys, he leads the country in points per game. And look, we kind of have to gauge it that way right now is, you know, it's easier stat to track since so many teams have played a different amount of games right now. So he's leading the country in points per game right now. But if you want to go by number of touchdowns, he's third in the country with six in two games behind Cameron Carroll of Tulane, who has eight touchdowns in three games and Ulysses Bentley, the fourth, what a name there uh, from SMU <laughs> with seven touchdowns in four games. So, you know, with his six touchdowns, now he's 12, uh, uh, has 12 in career and has tied the school record for career touchdown receptions for a tight end. He only had five touchdowns all of last season and has already eclipsed that total. So all this, no, co no, no catches in the second half. South Carolina did a good job there. Coverage was tight. Pitt still almost managed to make a miraculous catch out there, showing he's, st he's still human after all. Uh, and, and one more little stat that CBS Sports Headquarter put out there. Uh, the last pass catcher to win the Heisman was Dem Desmond Howard in 1991. His first two games – uh, 1991 for Desmond Howard, 193 scrimmage yards, six total touchdowns. Kyle Pitts, 227 scrimmage yards, six touchdowns. Pitts for Heisman, guys. I mean, I, go ahead and give him the Mackey already. Like that, <laughs> go, put put his name on it. That that's done. Um, is he Desmond even is he, is he even eligible for that since he wasn't on the preseason Mackey Award list? He was on the preseason Mackey oh, and was the Blitnikoff. Okay, there yeah, was there was he, one yeah, that he, left him off because they were saying he wasn't really a true tight end. So I have to go and find that. Okay, I mean, there's so many awards, but yeah, I no, believe that was uh, that was last year actually, and it was one of those things that really motivated him into the, this okay, offseason okay, okay. to improve his blocking. Yeah, yeah. Well, wait till he gets to the NFL, then he'll be like, "No, I'm not a tight end. I see those <laughs> wide receiver contracts. Don't don't call me a tight end." Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, go ahead, uh, put his name on the Mackey, give it to him. Um, It'll be interesting to me because it, if you look at it, I think like the most touchdowns that tight end has is 20, something crazy like that. I mean, we look at college stats and you start looking at, you know, um, some of these offenses that just throw the ball all over the place. But I think 20, and if you look at it, like at one point yesterday, he had more touchdowns than any other team in the SEC. I even looked it up, like in terms of touchdowns, Kyle Pitts was the 37th best offense in the country. Um, on his own. So yeah, when you start talking about 
crazy wacky numbers like that, then yeah, you can figure out something like maybe it's not crazy that a tight end wins the Heisman. And if we're looking at it too, I, I think Desmond Howard had a, a little more special teams play behind him as well. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he, he was playing – like he wasn't coming off the field. He was yeah, yeah. Pump return, kick return, interceptions, catching passes. He was doing it all. Yeah. Uh, Graham, you, you brought it up earlier, man, and um, we, you were kind of just talking about Kyle Trask. And, look, we, we're breaking up again too. Uh, we just brought up Kyle Pitts. You can extend the conversation with him and what you've seen from him too, but – I, I mean, man, Kadarius Tony continuing to show the steps. He has become a more well-rounded player, uh, and, and you know, becoming a wide receiver now. He led the team in receiving with six catches, eighty-six yards, a one fifty-seven-yard touchdown, showing showing flashes of uh, physicality and speed all in one play. Kind of reminiscent of a, you know some Percy Harvin plays back in the past. No, don't get me wrong; I'm not, don't confuse it, everybody. He's he's, he's not Percy Harvin. Uh, but you know, you you get you got the you got the memories of, of a style of play like that yesterday from Kadarius Tony. Uh, pretty safe to say, you know, he, he's done the necessary things and steps to become more a, a more well-rounded player, and it only makes him that much more dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I kind of made the point that one of the things that Kyle Trask does well is he doesn't zero in on a, on a wide receiver, but an after to either Kyle Pitts or Kadarius Tony, that shows not only how much he trusts them. Uh, but it, yeah, absolutely. The steps that Kadarius Tony has taken to be that all around receiver that so many people have been really kind of waiting for him to become, that was a big reason the media and his teammates and everyone was saying, this guy should, should come back for one more year. You know, he has the athleticism. Can he put it all into one package? He's going to have a chance to be the returner this year and work in the passing game and the ways that they've used him this year. You know, I hate to use it kind of another, buzzword in a sense, but I think that he's just been a very good compliment uh, to Kyle Pitts and, and vice versa. You, you know, it, it's hard to cover both of those guys and give Kyle Trask time in the pocket to, to go through his progressions and find another wide receiver. If both of those guys are covered, he's getting the ball to Trayvon Grimes or Jacob Copeland. I thought that Kadarius Tony did extremely well, and, and this is outside of that insane, insane 57 yard touchdown where I think we all thought that he was about to be piled on in the middle of the field and just burst through them uh, with an insane amount of it off that, you know, I don't want to go out there and say that South Carolina's defensive backs uh, have tackling issues or, or, or whatever, because that takes away from Kadarius Tony's run. But I think that if, that had happened to Florida, we would all be saying that. that that's my big thing. But you, you really have to absolutely go back and look at the film and look at his footwork and how he's selling his routes and his effort on the field at complimenting uh, guys like Kyle Pitts when they have a big reception. I'm really impressed with what I've seen out of Kadarius Tony so far this year. He's got to obviously continue it. And I know this isn't really totally up to him and knock on wood here. He's got to stay healthy. I, I think that if you can ever make one fair knock, on a player with insane athleticism like that is that they are going to take some hits. It's an inevitability in a sense that they are going to get injured, that those plays are going to sometimes end with them getting tackled in the middle of the field. And unfortunately, sometimes awkwardly. So for Kadarius Tony, I, I, I think learning how to get down, get out of bounds. If there's any way that I can nitpick his game a little bit more, start taking care of yourself. You're going to make that money. Go out there get out of bounds if you can. You know, I know a lot of the media and fans knocked Demarcus Robinson when he hit the sidelines. Well, he, he knew what he had and he had to protect his future. And I think that Kadarius Tony has already shown us a lot as of late that he should start looking after himself. Oh, there you go. When Kadarius Tony gets hurt, just remember it's Graham's fault. <laughs> Don't run this back. Uh, and look, guys, I mean, when we were on the Gator panel before the season and we were kind of discussing what we expected to see from this offense, you know, I even said, you know, even with the receivers that they lost last year, I thought there was uh, a chance to be more explosive as long as Kyle Trask took the, to, took the steps and Kadarius Tony took the steps and Trevon Grimes takes the steps and, and Kyle Pitts becomes even more of a monster. And that looks to be holding true is there's a, there are some, you know, not, not many explosives in the run game yesterday versus South Carolina, but uh, you're, you're starting to see, you know, a lot of these chunk plays come through the air now. When was the last time that I'm, I'm trying to think of the last time it's definitely the most exciting offense since I've been covering the team. Um, but like when was the last time, I guess you have to go back to Tebow, the Tebow era where 
where you had plays like that, where, you know, at any point in time, you could think that, hey, something might pop off. So, I mean, uh, my first season covering the team is 2013. You certainly didn't feel like that about the offense <laughs> that year. Yeah, and the only time you really thought that you might get an inkling of that is when, you know, Florida blows that old Miss in, in McElwain's first year. You're like, okay, there's something to work in there. But, of course, we all know what happened there. Uh, house of cards <laughs> yeah. that, that blew over <laughs> exactly but that's the you know that was kind of really the only point there of maybe some glimmer of hope that's what you know what's coming on the offense so yeah hopefully no hopefully no falling apart here i saw the joke uh out there last week of uh keep kyle trask away from any gnc in gainesville so um but you know, he's got he's got <laughs> nick sandwich yeah he's got nick sandwich now he doesn't need to worry about that <laughs> <laughs> What are you guys uh, yeah. doing? Both of you are jinxing the entire team. I'm just sitting here <laughs> trying to have a nice podcast, and you guys are over here just like trying to ruin everything. I don't believe in jinxes. That's unfair. That's unfair. You can't believe in jinxes. And, it, and of course, the baseball <laughs> guy is going to sit here and talk to us about jinxes. I mean, this is the guy that would chew you out if someone's in the sixth inning of a no hitter, as if, you know, in the next two hours, you're speaking that into existence is going to ruin it. You know, fun story. I actually, uh, got chewed out in a UF press box um, for talking about a, a no hitter that got ruined in the ninth inning. I'm not going to say who it is, but, but many people know who it is out there. I got chewed out for, for months on end. And I guess it's really so, but you know, Nick, you made the point about Tim Tebow and I actually had to go back there and look this up. And please, if, if this is wrong, someone out there, let me know. But that was the third game where Kyle Trask has thrown four touchdown passes. And that's apparently the most a Gators quarterback has done three games of four touchdown passes since Chris Leak, which means that Tebow didn't do it. So I, I'm with you that you could feel it could pop off at any moment, but we have to be honest that in the last 15 years, games of four plus passing touchdowns are few and far between. And I know that obviously the, the point is that Tebow was a dual threat where he could beat you with his legs and, and through the air, but this offense is, and, and I'm not saying that, that Chris Leak is, you know, the greatest quarterback in UF history. That's not the point I'm trying to make here. But this offense is absolutely, possibly even more deadly than that 06-2008 era, which if you really want to kill me for any point, uh, I'll hang up and let you all kill me for that one. <laughs> I mean, numbers, n- numbers certainly speak, you know, back it up right now. Uh, anyway, so we'll see, you know, with 10 SEC games, you know, two already down, uh, if the Gators can continue uh, that, that style of play as the, uh, you know, defenses will get better. I think, you know, A&M coming up this coming, coming up week, uh, you can, um, can form a, a, a pretty, pretty stout uh, defense at times. So we'll see. I mean, I, they look that way against Alabama, but they have the talent there to be better on defense than Ole Miss and, and South Carolina uh, that we saw. So, uh, look, guys, we move forward through the game, wanting to see the run game a bit more because it was working. And, and um, you know, Damian Pierce was having a successful day as he finished with nine carries, 51 yards, a touchdown, averaging 5.7 yards per Per, uh, per rush there and when it looked like Florida was in shape to take over the game early up early in the fourth quarter up 38 to 14 you know that's the that's the drive Trask comes out with three straight passes forcing throws and, and then throws the interception and at that point you, you just would have, would have loved to seen Florida you know salt the game away with a run game especially when Pierce was running uh with a lot of physicality a lot of toughness in the game and you know we give we give a lot of credit for for Mullen and staff for in-game coaching strategy and rightfully so given his history there but I'm I'm pretty sure that might be one drive they'd like to have back Which drive are you talking about there? Uh, when when Trask came out and it was slinging the ball all over, and you thought it had a pretty good lead there, you would think you know you start running the ball a bit more to uh, you know maybe, to maybe solve right. the game away. Yeah, I I think so, and I guess maybe just to play the other you know play devil's advocate, play the other end of that is that's not your identity right now. You yeah. know what I mean? And 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 if that's not what you do well, hey, well it's just the offense is running well. Could we run the ball and salt the game away? Maybe, but like that's not why we have this lead to begin with. Yeah. Um, and, and I get it. I mean, listen, it, it, Will Muschamp's and his offense is really the one that iced the game with that seven <laughs> and a half minute drive, you know, in, in the fourth quarter. Could Florida have done that? Sure. Um, I mean, I think we're playing, you know, Monday morning quarterback. If you're saying, well, Florida just runs the yep. ball there and Damian Pierce was, you know, running the ball hard and, 
Uh, I mean, the first drive, he ran the ball, I think, five times in the first drive. Looks great. And then you look at the end of the day, and he only has nine carries. You're like, well, what the heck happened? You only yeah. have four more the rest of the game. Um, but I think it's just that's not Florida's identity on offense right now. So when they come out and they're throwing the ball in that situation, to me, I'm not sitting there thinking, what are you doing? I'm looking at it and going, well, that's what you've been doing you know, through two games now. That's who you are. Yeah, I didn't necessarily question it at the time, of course. Uh, and then, of course, Nick, you're right. Revisionist history here. Uh, you know, just kind of going back to the day Pierce had, I was just uh, up that much. I probably would have liked to see at least starting that drive with a run, uh, especially when Trask did kind of force that first throw uh, of that drive and then come right back around with another pass and then the interception on the play after that. So uh, but but you're, you're saying at least get the clock running by, hey, yeah. run the ball. Yeah. At least get the clock running. Don't come out right away, you know throwing the ball and, and, you know, hey, first incompletion, all right, well, we wasted three seconds and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Graham, is that uh... – yeah, you know, I, I got to, you know, out like the TV perspective, as if Florida barely had the ball <laughs> in that last 20 minutes, the last third of game action, and, you know – That wasn't TV, Graham. That was just it. Exactly. You know, that's what you're saying. You're, you know, revisionist history is always existent in a sense, but that's not the case here with that because I went back and looked at the stat sheet and in the last 1945 of game time South Carolina ran 40 plays 40 plays that is that's insane I, I mean you want to talk about a sped up spring game in a sense I mean it's like they were running the two-minute drive over and over and over again and it did feel like it took forever and it took them forever to score but so many of what they were trying to do it's like the offenses were switched they were trying to run the run plays that Florida should have been doing to chew the clock out when they should have been going for not kicking field goals to make a three-score game a three-score game. It, it was insane how long Florida's defense was on the field in the second half, in the last 20 minutes. And if I'm going to critique one thing that I think stood true at the time and still stands true is that that defense absolutely probably felt gassed at the end of the game. And I imagine they were like me and they went to bed by 10 p.m. last night because they didn't really get a chance to get out of the field. And I know that they rotated, uh, I think uh, still did a good job of rotating and getting guys in. But if you'd like to see one thing is, is to stop a team on fourth down. What were the Gamecocks on fourth down? Four for four. And they can, can think, what, six third downs, most of those in the second half. I mean, if I'm Todd Grantham, I'm, I'm despite the victory, I, I'm letting the defense know that we're going to have to get off the field sooner or it's going to come back to bite us at the end of the season. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make the transition there and the, and the frustration that comes with that side of the ball uh, on defense right now. And look, I mean, there were there was one improvement from last week, of course, and that comes in the form of, of not giving up the big play. And you know, was South Carolina even really capable of that? So that you, you can ask, ask yourself there. But that is at least one improvement uh, you could see from Ole Miss to, to South Carolina, not giving up the huge chunk play there improvement there but you know that's where the fourth down conversion show up and uh, uh graham uh going to your points here six of 17 on third down uh for south carolina only two of 10 in the second half there's an improvement on third down defense but that led to a lot of fourth and shorts and and physical gotcha. yeah physical, that's what it was yeah physicality being an issue there with south carolina converting five of six fourth downs uh, and you know, m most of that to me is just mentally wanting to. You know, it's fourth and short. Your defensive line's got to man up and, and and get physical and and beat that opposing offensive line. So, all that led to 83 plays ran by South Carolina for only 329 yards uh, for an average of four yards per play. Uh, you know, only 24 points out of all that too. So, you know, box score can be deceiving uh, here. 36-23 time of possession on those 83 plays. Their touchdown drives, guys, took up a, a whole, whole, whole lot of a time. First drive of the game, South Carolina goes 12 plays, 75 yards for almost seven minutes. Second touchdown drive started near midfield after Trask fumble. That drive took nine plays for 48 uh, yards in four minutes or four and a half minutes. Then Trask interception, they take over at the Florida 39, and that still takes 11 plays for 39 yards. And that, that took three minutes and 49 seconds off the clock. I, I think that I think that's by design, though. Like yeah. you, to me, if you look at Florida LSU last year, Florida's goal offensively was sustain long drives, keep LSU's offense off the field. Yeah. And to me, that's exactly what South Carolina is trying to do. But to that point, if you're Florida and you're the defense, 
get off the field. Don't allow them to take your offense out of the game by staying on the field. Get off the field, and they just weren't able to do it. 11 conversions yesterday for South Carolina. Yeah, and, you know, in a way, you let them do it, kind of like, you know, I I do believe – you know the defense has kind of let them do that in a way, but you don't, you know, you you don't let get, you know, you don't get B on fourth and one on purpose. You know, you, so that's kind of where my physicality part comes in issue. But you let them play that game in a way, especially late. You know, that's kind of what LSU did to Florida last year, and I think that maybe did what Florida let South Carolina do in a way late in that game last year. Now, don't get me wrong, you want to get off the field. That's not an excuse there. Uh, but if they're going to take forever, then they're not. They're just not going to have enough time to score. They're not going to have enough time to score two touchdowns at the end of the game. Especially in the last drive, you know, without scoring, took seven, almost seven and a half minutes off the clock, 18 plays, 74 yards. So there were six drives of six plays or less uh, and one key three and out right before halftime uh, to give the offense the ball there. So there was one situational part where I, I like what Florida did right before halftime, two weeks in a row, you force a three and out and get your, get your offense the ball where they can put a touchdown up right before halftime. But situational play as far as short yardage goes, man, that, that leaves a lot to be desired right now. Yeah, I do agree. You know, to what Nick said about uh, it looked like South Carolina was just trying to keep Florida's offense uh, off the field. You know, what a compliment absolutely uh, to that offense, if you think about it, because I think we've already seen in these first two weeks that there's not a lot of defenses out there that have shown that they can stop this this team out there. Uh, Obviously, we'll see as things um, progress later into the season, but I want to circle back to Florida's run defense because not to knock Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenwick, but Florida is going to face better backfields this season. And I know that this team is missing Kyrie Campbell and there are still some young players getting work here and the linebacker situation is still getting figured out. Let me say that, but allowing nearly 4.8 yards, you know, 4.8 yards of carry. And if you take out the sacks, 130 plus, rushing yards to South Carolina, uh, you know, I, I, I think that you really can say that there are some huge areas where the team, you know, needs to improve. Um, how did you guys feel about how that team performed? Because I, I was not expecting South Carolina to come out there and rush for 130 plus yards. You know, if you go back and look at that game against Tennessee, Colin Hill threw for nearly 300 yards against the volunteers. And then they rushed for, just about 50 yards. And and I think that if you were a Florida fan right there out there who had to accept anything, you, you don't want to think right now that this may be a top five program nationally with a run defense that maybe ranks in the bottom half of the SEC. Obviously it's very early in the SEC in the season, but that may be true after, after what we've seen. I mean, yeah. And like you said, you're going to face better better rushing attacks. Um, I think we talked about last week, Dave, and I think I said, you know, like, Hey, I mean, look what Ole Miss did, you know, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of not made excuses, but I kind of explained away the first game by saying, Hey, this Ole Miss team is going to do that to a lot of teams. Like that's a good offense. Lane Kiffin can drop some ball plays. They're going to make a lot of teams, a lot of defenses look bad. But then I said, South Carolina's offense, this is what the doctor ordered. Yeah. This is, you know, five days of rest, wake up on Saturday and, and go ahead and, you know, and beat this team up. And, and that's not what happened. You know, that's not what the defense looked like. And I think to me, at least, you know, kind of like what Graham said, you know, you are what your film says. And, and right now, Florida's defense isn't good. And, and, and I tried to explain the way after, after week one saying, well, you haven't tackled since, you know, since January in the Orange Bowl, you've only had two scrimmages. The defense will catch up to the offenses, you know, throughout college football. Uh, and maybe that's still the case, but I'm definitely feeling worse about Florida's defense after game two than, than you know, than I did after after the, the season opened. Yeah, exactly, guys. And look, I, right now, I, I think looking at it, it's a vicious, vicious cycle, I think, of uh, – um, a lack of trust, lack of assignment football, and, and in turn makes uh, Grantham a little bit more conservative than, than he should be and wants to be. And uh, I'm not making this up. Uh, I've had some constructive conversations uh, since the game last night, and, and and practice and assignment football have to be better uh, right there. Guys that are that are um, 
guys that are playing are, are the guys that are showing the most uh, dependable to be on and off the field, uh, the most consistency, the guys that are, are are trying the most. That's why they are out there. And, and I'm not and I'm ta- not trying to take up for Todd Grantham here. It does not look good, but you know he's not the only reason. Is, is the scheme too difficult? Uh, does it not fit what he's asking the players to do? Can you cater this defense to the issues that 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 they're, that they're having right now? There has to be, to me, a, a meeting in the middle to get where this defense uh, is as much of a liability. I don't know if they'll ever be the the great, uh, maybe close to a really, really good defense that I thought before the preseason. But right now, there's, there's going to have to be a meeting uh, in the middle from scheme and, and, and planning from the coaching staff to, you know, these players that are out there of doing your assignment. You know, you're coached to do one thing. You need to do it. You know, it, it's not just, oh, how, how does Florida line up and, 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 that's why there's not that, that's why offenses are having success and it's not just uh, a guy not doing his assignment every every time in my position i think you know there could be a little more aggression uh, from the coaching staff to you know maybe feed into the aggression of the players. I think when you constantly sit back and play a little bit, I think that gets into the players' minds and they play softer that way. But I think if you you're out there and you show aggression and you let them know there's some uh, you know <laughs> there's aggression behind everything that you're doing, I think they pick up on that as well. So uh, I think there, there there has to be a, a meeting of, of staff and coaching and planning and these players out also out there having to do their job. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of it, um, a lot of everything, what you just said is absolutely true. And I, I, I'm not going to sit here and knock players or Todd Grantham. And I also want to be careful to, to avoid making excuses because there are so many other teams out there dealing with the same circumstances, but I, I really do the more I look at it, the more I look at the variables and what we've seen out of not only a Todd Grant, some coach defense, but out of a Florida defense in the last few years, what you've seen out of this team just really makes me think that you're seeing a team suffering from rust. And I hate to use that cliche, but the lack of tackling, I know that we harp on this all the time. I think that that really is having a huge detriment on many, many teams out there. And that's magnified by teams that had to change coordinators in the middle of the pandemic. And if you can see what a a Todd Grantham coach defense is, is dealing with, I think that you could certainly make the case that every other team is kind of dealing with that as well too. So it's one of those things that seems like an excuse, but how can you say it really is when there are so many other programs that didn't have the continuity on the coaching staff is not, deep at every single position necessarily like the Gators are. And I think the biggest factor, I know that Florida has dealt with COVID tests, but I think that their transparency, even though Dan Mullen said he's not going to speak about injuries anymore, their transparency about COVID, the weekly testing reports, having minimal turnover uh, from week to week on the COVID list, not missing a huge amount of personnel, really makes me think that, yeah, that they don't have as many excuses as other teams possibly could have, even though the excuses are fair. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I think, I think I, I, I didn't know where you were going with it because I, I think you were making the case that Florida doesn't have the excuses that some other schools should have. It didn't sound like that's, it didn't sound like that's what you were I just tried to reason between how much, I just tried to reason between how much every team should have excuses and how much, minimize those excuses should be in Florida because they don't have the coaching turnover. They haven't had a huge amount of, you know, 20 plus people testing positive. They haven't had massive amount of opt outs. They already, you know, you can make the facilities knock whatever you want to say, but they have every other resource to do virtual film sessions, zoom meetings, every, like every other program out there that I really think, even though I want to say that they have some excuses for having rust Every other program basically has way more excuses. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, and I think that's probably, you know, when we did the panel, I said, I think people aren't talking about it enough, how Florida should be getting credit or or being thought of as, hey, a team that didn't have to bring in a new coaching staff or even a new coordinator, not even a team that had to work in a new quarterback in, 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 a, in a weird off season that we had, I thought that should be, you know, given for should have gotten credit for that. And, and, and that's exactly the point you're making, Graham, where you don't have that excuse, you know, 
Georgia has. Georgia they lost Sam Pittman. They lost, they lost their offensive line coach, Sam Pittman, and that was one of the best offensive lines out there. And you just saw last night how valuable, I think, of a coach Sam Pittman because that Chad Morris program was in the dumps, and now they're mm-hmm. dealing with teams that, yeah, like LSU had so many excuses. But what Arkansas just did to that Mississippi State team, I, I – Hey, and they're the, and, and they have, and, and they have a new defensive coordinator, Barry Odom, the Missouri exactly. Head mm-hmm. coach, and Arkansas's defense looks mounds better than what we've seen from that program in the last couple of years. And exactly. Played, so how can you played, sit here yeah, and played, a team that won four games? Yeah. and brought in a new coordinator you shouldn't have more excuses than this team that has continuity and is paying Todd Grantham one point seven million dollars and all these other factors that should amount to better performances than what we've seen through eight quarters. And and uh, Nick, I'll get you. I'll start with you on this one before we uh, kind of wrap this one up here. Where's the star at on, on, on defense? <laughs> I'm not talking about the star position. You know, I'm talking about you know, the the pass rusher that's going to come up big in, the, in 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 the situation there. You know, we haven't seen the the consistency of uh, Jacopoli, Jabari Zuniga, Grenard. You know, only through two games right now, but still, you know, you you kind of got a sense when watching those guys from the get go. Okay, those guys are going to live in the backfield, and we haven't necessarily seen that yet. They've gotten pressure. Don't get me wrong. It just hasn't been at that level yet. And why so much zone and soft coverage when, you know, um, it's not really Todd Grantham's background that we've that we've known him to do so much. Is, uh, you know, we, we expect more aggression. We expect more blitzing here. Uh, Marco Wilson looks nowhere near where he should be, to me, mentally playing star right now. That, to me, that's not a really good fit. I know he stepped in there and did well last year. It did not translate so far in, into this year. Uh, Kyrie Elam, whether we're getting – the man coverage a lot doesn't seem to be the lockdown corner we necessarily thought he would be. Mari Bernie's out there at linebacker. And he's going to, you know, listen, right now just going to give up some plays. Uh, the middle of the field's been picked over the last two weeks. Uh, a lot of it, you know, assignment football is is not happening. That is part of it, but we just want to see more aggression. Uh, I think, you know, the fan base wants to see more aggression from, from, from Grantham, and there has to be some trust there not to give up the big play and, um, it, and take advantage of what he's kind of been known for for years. Let, let the guys go out there and play fast. I think it probably starts with what you're just saying. When you when you list those guys, like I, I don't think Florida has a guy right now that you look at and you can say that's you know their star player. You know when you, you go back to thinking when Dominic Easley was on the team and Sharif Floyd and guys like that, you knew they were going to make a, a difference in the game. I, I don't know who I could point to on Florida's defense right now that I think can make that impact. Could it be a guy like Brenton Cox? Sure, and I think you see it in spurts, but it's not consistently throughout the game. Um, Ventrell Miller, he's going to put up, you know, 10, 12, 15 tackles a game, but is it an impact play that he's making? And, and I think that's right now you're looking for a guy on Florida's defense that who is that impact player, and I, I can't name one. Yeah, my gut is going to say Brenton Cox. Let me just jump off that because yeah. when I went back and watched a little bit more closely last night after the game, you know, it looked like a few times Brenton was just so millisecond away from making the play. If you go look at the stat sheet, one, I got to say this by crediting Florida's offensive line, the South Carolina defense didn't hit Kyle Trask yesterday. They had two sacks, um, but they didn't register a quarterback hit. And the Gators registered nine. And Brenton Cox had half a sack and three of those led the team in, in quarterback hits on Colin Hill. He was close to several sacks there, and I, I don't want to be one of those people who possibly sounds like a homer, but not only do I think are we seeing some rust from football players, but they're still not calling holding with anything of consistency, and not only were there times where blatantly Brenton Cox was held in what looked like it was about to be a sack there, but go back to that first game even and ways that just don't show up in the stat sheet. Yeah. Gervin Dexter made that heads up play that interception there in his debut, but Brenton Cox tipped that ball, making a heads up play to get a hand on the football. So I, my gut is going to say Brenton Cox, I, you know, Zach Carter as well, three solo tackles, uh, team high time, eight tackles as well. Game high sack and a half. Uh, you know, I think that when all is said and done at the end of the season, he is going to stats wise be the guy who, benefits the most in this pass rush but i still think that brenton cox's impact hasn't necessarily shown up either on film um or translated into sacks necessarily uh, or it's been overshadowed 
by how teams have been able to run the football against the Gators through eight quarters. Absolutely, absolutely there. Guys, you ready for some uh, listener tweets? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Coach Guns uh, starts us off here. He says, honestly, I don't feel like we have lost enough to be this bad on defense. I think, honestly, the problem is how the defense has been recruited. A lot of lengthy pass rushers, but no pure run stuffers. Also, a clear loss of Gennard and Henderson are, are big losses. It kind of goes with what we were just discussing here. Ellington Jones says offense played average and still scored 38. Defense was in better position, or quote, in better position, but was overpowered on many plays. Have to play better first down defense and consistently stop the run better. We should beat Texas uh, A&M. So two defensive thoughts there. And, and look, I mean, um, Coach Guns brings it up, the recruiting of lengthy pass rushers, no pure run stuffers, and, and going that and then, I, I hate harping on this. I hate going back to this in a way, but I remember Todd Grantham's time at Georgia and he comes in there and everything's pretty good early on. And then the, when he starts getting his players in, that defense falls off uh, a whole lot. So I hope, you know, through two games, and I don't want to go that far with it and say we're looking at the same scenario here, but I think it is worth bringing up, uh, you know, some early success at Georgia. And then once he started getting his players in, the defense necessarily doesn't hold up. Yeah, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not ready. You know, I, I totally understand the frustration and listen, the Florida's defense hasn't been fun to watch. I'm just like, I'm not ready to write it off yet. And I know people, you know, I know, I know the timeline is fire time, Grantham, you know, which isn't going to happen, which isn't going to happen by the way. <laughs> since, yeah. He's been, he's been fired 14 times since he's been in Florida. Uh, I'm just not ready to write him off yet. And, and I still have, you know, what I just said about not having that star impact player. I think that's still a concern. Uh, at least for me, in my mind, but I'm not ready to write off, you know, at, at some point, hey, it might make Florida go to College Station next week and lay an egg, and then I might be, you know, be here a week from the day saying, all right, that's it, hit the panic button, but uh, but I'm not hitting it right now with Florida's defense. Concerned, but not hitting the panic button yet. Yeah. Anything? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I am concerned about, I, I think, what you've seen, but I, I don't think we should – be anywhere close to hitting the panic button. And I think if I really had to look at it through the lens that Florida is looking at it through early on, you can take your lumps as long as you're going to win the football game. If it means that you don't have to have guys like Zach Carter and Brenton Cox and Ventral Miller, Jeremiah Moon, Marco Wilson, you know, et cetera, your valuable playmakers. If you don't have to have them on the field for more than 60% of reps, that's going to help you out down the season, even if you have to give up 24 points right now to a team like South Carolina, because as much as we've been talking heads throughout the offseason, one of the biggest points I think everyone has always kind of agreed on is that depth is going to serve teams far more than handing out impressive 63 and nothing performances, which normally in the BCS era and even in the college football playoff era where every conferences competing style points did matter and getting sacks on national television, everything like that had greater importance seemingly right now. I think there is an onus inside programs on health and limiting the chances of some of your guys getting injured because the opportunities are less here this season. While there are also less teams available, the sec understands that their biggest opponent every single week is themselves limiting their chances of getting COVID-19 of getting hurt in game of doing anything that could lead to a player being sidelined, whether it's quarantine quarantined or contact tracing, whatever it is. I think that there is that era of understanding in programs like Florida. So if you have to work young guys in so that if someone goes down for any reason, whether it's medical or physical, you have a guy who's ready to be there. And while I'm not ready to, you know, say that guys like Amari Bernie and such are absolutely, you know, stellar players, I, I think that you're able to take your lumps with them and it not be that big of a deal, even though in this Twitter era, it's almost impossible for clips not to be magnified and replayed and hot takes to be made and people to say that this is evidence of a coach needing to go in this coaching carousel world where I think we need to step back and look through it through a different lens and say, Hey, if you have to give up 
130 plus rushing yards to a Will Muschamp coach offense, it's okay if everyone gets out of the game unscathed. And from what I understand, that seems to be the case, although Dan Mullen uh, won't confirm that. that that is the truth here uh archie tech says teams have doubled slayton and running opposite of him linebackers are sifting through too much Mm -hmm. trash on run plays carter seeing carter carter started seeing double teams as well uh some more Mm -hmm. defense here typical gators says the schemes and personnel choices by defensive coaches really concern me the constant zone playing off the ball and the apparent lack of drive across everyone except ventrell are poor coaching signs to me if we don't see drastic improvement we will lose two games or more uh, so yeah, some more defensive thoughts there. You know, I, I, look, I, I I thought the lack of focus, maybe lack of physicality last week versus Ole Miss was maybe a was maybe a sign of a lot of guessing going on out there because they didn't necessarily know what Ole Miss was bringing to the table. They were out there guessing. Um, I, I thought that got better a little bit last week too. Still, still maybe a concern out there for some. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you have started seeing Slayton get double teamed. I think uh, he has shown up uh, as for opposing offenses to be a threat there. So they are throwing double teams uh, his way there. But you know, scheme personnel choices. You would hope to think in week three, this is when we finally see Brad Stewart uh, come aboard, and the you know the thoughts were of him in preseason camp where he was playing some stars. So if he comes and plays stars, does that shift Marco back outside to where I'd say he's probably more comfortable overall where you have Wilson and, and Elam on the outside. So, you know, I think, you know, personnel, who knows what Kyrie Campbell will even be available at, at, at any point this season. Uh, but for now, you know, the, maybe the, the quickest, the quickest fix there as far as personnel is getting Brad Stewart back involved. Yeah, uh, that'd be nice. And, and Brad's a guy that can play star. I think I think right away you saw Marco. You obviously, when you look at South Carolina, what they've done week one, you saw Shy Smith and you're like, all right, who do we put on him? And yeah. I think, you know, right away it was like, all right, Marco. I love Marco Wilson. Uh, I don't think he had his best game no. uh, of his career on, on Saturday against South Carolina. But, yeah, you've got to figure out something because if, if – like, like coaches always say, you got to get your best five on the field and you got to put them in positions, you know, put them in a position to be successful. And I don't know if you can say that about all the guys you put, you put on the field right now. And to me, one guy that I think is regressed and that I thought should be making a bigger impact. And if we're talking about star play as well, is Amari Bernie. I, 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 I don't know. I just see him getting lost right now. And that's a guy that I thought, you know, could be your kind of Alex Anzalone kind of linebacker that, you know, if you look at Ventrell Miller, great against, great against the run, but not someone I want, mm-hmm. um, you know, covering a tight end in space or, or covering a running back in space. And I thought that'd be Amari Bernie. I mean, I just watched him get completely lost um, uh, yesterday and give up a touchdown to a running back. And asking around, Nick, uh, kind of going to that point, I, I wouldn't expect him off the field <laughs> any, anytime soon. Uh, and as a, Apparently, in, in practice and stuff during the week, he's he's there in the right place. But uh, you know, we got to see. I think we, you know a lot of people want to see that translate in, in, into a game situation here. Uh, Graham, I'll come to you back with this one. A little bit of optimism here. Uh, Cam the man says defense wasn't awful, just didn't play good situational football. But at the end of the day, I'm glad our program is back to that level where we can win an SEC game by two touchdowns and not happy about it. <laughs> and then uh, Stephen Ole says, I might be the optimist camp here, but I think things are fine with room to improve. Both of the last years, we've seen issues defensively and by midseason or mid to late season as players have returned, they've been cleaned up. You look around college football, kind of going to your point there. You look, uh, you work around college football defense is a problem almost everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think there's plenty of reason to be optimistic. First point, uh, you brought up Marco Wilson. I think that he would be one of the first people to admit that he didn't have his greatest game, but I, I think on top of that, he's not going to make any excuses. So I'll make him for him. I mean, you watch that game, there were just times that to me looks like they were just communicational breakdowns. And I'm again, going to attribute that to a lack of time on the field together. Nick, you can attest to this as well, but one of the things that we saw so much over the past three seasons was an incredible bond. I think between Marco Wilson and CJ Henderson, where they would stay every week after practice. And we know how that I hate to use buzzwords here, but that chemistry can translate to the field and you just know where guys are going to be. And whether it was that play where Kyrie slipped or whatever it was, or they collided and bumped knees and 
there were just themes, things that stood out to me as things that usually get corrected in the off season or spring practice or a normal fall camp where it's not 20 hours a week. I know that Florida had this kind of extended fall camp, but I think people don't realize, and Dan Mullen was kind of animated about it at times, but things got ramped up and then ramps back down and they didn't really have the time to do these consistent periods of conditioning and five hours a day in the program uh, to, to get their legs and that chemistry there. And I think you're really seeing that that happen. Um, as for the linebacker situation, yeah, Amari Bernie, by all accounts, especially last year, a guy that was kind of perfect for that star role because you really didn't have um, an absolute position for him. Like you were saying earlier, it was a guy who had played some safety in high school they had tried him at corner. A lot of people thought that he would be a linebacker right away, but still kind of needed to, to bulk up a little bit. I, I just don't know what his, his future at that position is there, or, or if he really is going to be a capable star for Florida, because as we all know, and, and Ron English has said this often, it's an extremely difficult position to play. And I, I think that Florida has yet to find a quote unquote perfect star this year and if they do have one it, it may actually be a freshman on the roster we, we don't know um I, I think that you're going to see that position continue to rotate guys around and they will use Amari Bernie and they will use James Houston as that weak side third linebacker whatever you want to call it I, they're you're just going to see a lot of I think I hate to keep using that word rust but I think you're going to just still see some mental breakdowns on the field because you haven't had that repetition to go out there and actually utilize what you learned in the off season, because it was all virtual. Well, here's the thing. That position is so hard. Year three, you're still trying to figure it out. No one's done since Chauncey Gardner. Maybe yeah. someone else had on defense mm-hmm. then. Yeah. Yeah. Dan Mullen loves to say that he loves to put in, and this is not a knock. And uh, let me, you know, preface that. Um, Dan Mullen loves to say that he, his offense is, utilized around putting players in the best position possible rather than trying to make them work for an offensive scheme. I think you could make an argument right now that it seems that's what the defense is trying to do. And I would not be surprised if you saw Florida try some different looks here in the coming weeks because Texas A&M is also struggling. So you, you could absolutely try that in the next week. I would not be surprised by that at all. And uh, last couple here, and uh, both of them from Mo Tally at Mo Tally 56 uh, does a really good uh, breakdown here at defense. He goes, it will be our Achilles heel this year. Not all of these issues will be fixed by benching players. The defensive coaches will have to earn their checks by correcting these issues because the same issues are still lingering. It will prevent us from reaching our potential. Defensively, we have issues on every level. Defensive line not experienced uh, enough. Players are having growing pains. Linebacker, fundamental issues, possible lack of ability, kind of what we were just saying here, and DB's lack of effort and execution. They don't seem to be motivated. Some issues can be fixed by personnel changes and fundamental breakdowns. So good look there. Good look there uh, from, from Motali. Thanks, everyone, who uh, sent those uh, tweets in. And uh, we'll take one quick look around the SEC uh, before uh, we uh, hang up here. Of course, Florida, 38-24 over South Carolina. Tennessee uh, backs up their win over South Carolina two weeks in a row now, uh, two wins for the Vols, 35-12 over Missouri. Alabama thrashes Florida's next opponent, Texas A&M, 52-24. Ole Miss, Florida's first-week opponent, goes to Kentucky, gets an overtime win, 42-41 over mm. – uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a big – I watched that game. Hey. I was able to see the end of it when I got home. And They you. missed a field goal. They missed an extra, the extra point, point, I believe, yeah. in OT, which was – Oh man, Freak, freaking Kentucky, man! I sit here all off season. I'm like, <laughs> they bring everyone back. Yep. This is the year. Florida's. I, I went on Knoxville radio and they asked me about Florida, Tennessee, and I said, if I'm Florida, I'm more worried about Kentucky than Tennessee. And here I am. Tennessee's two and zero, and Kentucky's zero and two. What do I know? <laughs> I was right there with you. Man. I had <laughs> I had them picking Auburn, uh, beating Auburn week one, and uh, they shot themselves. I'm done picking Kentucky. Yeah, they shot. I'm them. done picking Kentucky. Here's I'm the thing. Here's them. the thing. This is the first time I've been on the Kentucky train. I have never been on it. And, and that's what you get. Dave. And that's what I get. That's how they treat you. Yep, that's exactly how they treat me. Uh, you guys got here late to the party because let me stop real quick. <laughs> Nick Nick knows this. I got so much heat on the radio. I, I want to say it was. 
was it last June? No, it was two Junes ago, June 2018, when I went on WRUF and said that this is the year that Kentucky finally snaps the streak. And people ripped me left and right, called in, Lance and Jasper called in, and as they should. But that actually ended up being the year. And I got to say, I wasn't on Kentucky this year. I think that Mark Stoops has done a great job with that program. And... But they lost Lynn Bowden and the SEC. If you really look at where everyone else is, early recruiting efforts for the last five years. How often does a guy commit to Kentucky and then they slip away from the program within the next six months? They kind of use that as one of those offers to to build some momentum these days. And again, you got to give Mark Stoops a whole lot of credit because he hits on a lot of those guys and it's a much better program, but uh, this is looking like it's going to be a down year for them. Yep. Uh, as we finish up on the nightcap of games here, Georgia and Auburn in the SEC game of the week, there was national, pretty much national game of the week. Uh, Georgia controls that game from the get go 27 to six. Uh, not a big fan of Bo Nix and Auburn. I'm not sure Chad Morris is a really good fit for that personnel <laughs> for offensive coordinator there at Auburn. Georgia rebounds uh, from the Arkansas performance last week. Stetson Bennett gets to start, plays pretty well. Georgia running game goes off as well. So uh, Georgia, uh, 27-6. So we'll probably, you know, a lot of people are talking about it now. Will we see a flip-flop of rankings of Georgia being ahead of Florida? And we'll uh, we'll should get we should actually get word of that pretty soon, but uh, not while we're on. Well, yeah, the coaches poll came out yep. and they're uh, they're tied now. They are tied. There we go. Okay, I mean, I tied, tied it third in the country. I mean, there you go. I mean, Florida looked better week one. Georgia looked better week two. So you know, you can you can you can you can definitely explain it. That Doesn't way. matter. All that matters is what happens in Jacksonville. There you go. Yeah, we can we can talk about it all we want to. But <laughs> people can get mad all speaking, they want to. Speaking of a Jacksonville guy, because I think that Auburn fans have to be feeling a little bit extra sick about this, but seeing Bo Nix last night, I think you know. The wrong quarterback left in a sense. They got to be wishing that they had Joey Gatewood back, who actually was just made, yeah. was just ruled immediately eligible there for Kentucky. So uh, Terry Wilson could be on the way out for the Wildcats based on what we've heard out of Lexington. And Joey Gatewood, if, if they're going to win some some games this season, could be the guy up there for Mark Stoops. And if that ends up being the case and we don't see Bo Nix have this great turnaround, because you guys remember, there were so many people who were saying that Bo Nix was about to have this Joe Burrow type season. It wasn't going to be Kyle Trask. They were saying Bo Nix was going to have this Joe Burrow type season and be that guy who leads Auburn to, you know, 12 and 0 or whatever they wanted to say up there. And wow. Hey, off season takes are pretty funny and we love making them and we love uh, ripping them afterwards. Yeah, two things with that. Uh, I, I'm not a big Bo Nix fan. I don't think he's taking the necessary steps. And look, he's not taking those necessary steps against that Georgia defense. <laughs> that defense is still, Oof. still, still really, really, really good. So it should be a fun matchup as long as everything kind of trends the way it is now with Florida offense and Georgia defense. Uh, wrap it up here. Uh, we, we talked about it earlier. Arkansas upstates Mississippi State after they get a big win over LSU last week, 21-14. Uh, I think Felipe had two touchdown passes in that game, if I'm if I remember right. Um, and then LSU rebounds, beats Vanderbilt 41-7. to seven. Uh, Guys, one more quick thought before we go. Demarcus Bowman, he's finally, it took, it, it took a different route than we, uh, than we, we than most, most fans wanted out there, but Demarcus Bowman's a gator. Transfer portal you. <laughs> you take it. <laughs> it. It sounds like a knock, but shoot, you're going to yeah. keep getting five stars eventually. That's fine. Yep. People love to downplay it, though. You know, I, I think it's funny. Let me say this. I think it's funny that Florida's spot has been so prolific with getting five stars after the fact. But you really got to take it. If you're a Florida fan and you're a Florida coach, you can't take it as kind of a knock on your recruiting. You have to take it as a sign that you're doing something right because a lot of coaches can go out there and talk the talk and make a program sound good. but when Saturday comes around and especially right now, when a lot of people are just sitting at home watching and they can really weed the truth out from the lies, Florida's program looks extremely good. And I was saying this in the off season and, and you guys can disagree out there, but the way that the Gators came out there, especially with the black lives matter movement, (laughs) 
the way that Dan Mullen embraced that and really opened his, his eyes, I think, and spoke about education was so much better of an effort than what Dabo Swinney has done in saying that, oh, I, I caution players from using Black Lives Matter stickers on their helmets or wearing patches. I knew that was going to catch up to him one day, and I know that that is not the biggest case here, but I think that the Florida program has done so much right to appeal to players, not just on the recruiting trail, but at other programs during the pandemic that it just kind of kind of feel like some karmic justice in a sense that this is paying off for Florida. And I, and I know that obviously there are improvements that need to be made on the recruiting trail, but I, I think that when you look at it, you have to give Florida a whole lot of credit for um, embracing the, the right thing right now, because uh, you talk about recruiting every day or dying that plays into it now. Yeah, I think with this one, Bum is you know, still going to be a true freshman next year because this year doesn't count. Um, we'll have to see how this all plays out, of course, as how el- eligibility comes about and stuff. But here's the thing, guys. You may only have DeMarcus Bowman for two years, and, and honestly, you will take two years because if, if you only have him to, for, for two years, that means he's coming and he's showing out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> take him for two years instead of no years. Instead of watching him win a national championship at Clemson. <laughs> exactly. Let him contribute there, of course. Uh, all right, guys. Hey, thank you very much uh, for hopping on and uh, taking a look back at this Florida-South Carolina game. We'll do it again uh, next Sunday uh, after Florida Texas a and That game has been announced for a noon kickoff on ESPN next Saturday, so another nooner uh, for the Gators. Nick, you making the trip? Yeah, not only a nooner, my second 11 a.m. local kick. Yeah. My goodness. You don't Give even me get, a break. You, you don't get to go out and party on Friday night and sleep in at all. Yeah, well, like, you know, I, I don't often agree with Will Muschamp, but I think he said it in 2012. You ever been to College Station? It'll be the last time you go. So <laughs> looking forward to my first trip to College Station, and, uh, and you're I'll, I'll, I'll report back I'll report back <laughs> next week if Will was right or not. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Grant, what's your plans next week? Hey, just keep doing high school football here in the area. I'll be covering the game from home as usual. It's really sad that I'm not going to get a chance to – be out on the road this year, although I do plan on making that trip from Florida, Georgia, of course, because I just got a new car, guys. You know, I know <laughs> Nick, was, Nick was making fun of me, you know, rightfully so, for riding in that Prius to almost every single no, away you were, game. You were being environmentally responsible. We went to Missouri in that thing, baby. We came back from Missouri in <laughs> oh, one day in that you, thing. Not you, not you, of course. You just said no, no, me and my, me and my co-pilot. Yeah, yeah, I was not. not that was egregious. Cross country. That was agreed to me. I, you know, I wouldn't put up with that smell for 16 hours and, and Nick wouldn't uh, put up with me talking the entire time. But, you know, I am going to miss being able to take cross country trips in that car, but hopefully I'll be back out there pretty soon in my uh, snazzy new 2019 Hyundai Elantra, baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> there we go. There we go. That's how, that's how we'll end this one. There. <laughs> This is wild as we started. There we go. We're Nick DeLatore from Gator Country and Graham Hall from Gainesville Sun. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.